The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. It's uh, great to be with you and really appreciate the, the privilege of, of coming and and speaking from God's word this morning with you. Uh, Before I dig into the message though, I just wanted to say a big thank you to you as a congregation for your long-standing faithful partnership with this network of churches, this True City Network, for your uh, willingness to be part of churches together, pursuing the good of the city, uh, the ways that you've lived out the gospel um, in this community and uh, across the city and the ways you've been willing to connect with other churches that are, are pursuing the same thing. Uh, it's not been an easy time for churches. I, I think we are aware of that. It's been hard enough for our churches to, to connect within our congregations, let alone to try to connect between churches over these last few years. Uh, I think true of the church around the world, but I know for sure true of the church here in Hamilton, it's been a time of deep vulnerability for us. And as we're going to look at in the message this morning, um, that, that can, can feel really difficult, but it's also an opportunity. And I just want to encourage you this morning that, that God is still at work among us, uh, that, that God is on the move, and it is in these times of vulnerability that, that he profoundly meets us. And so I look forward to seeing how God will meet you as a congregation and what he will do among us together. Uh, let, let's just pray as we, as we get started. Lord, thank you for, for CRC and for the beauty of this community and all that you are doing in and through them. Uh, just pray for uh, us as we worship this morning, uh, as, as we dig into Isaiah chapter 7 and understand a bit of the ways that, that you are at work amongst us. We uh, commit this time to you in your name. Amen. So I don't know about you, but uh, December, Christmas time is my favorite time of year. Uh, it probably has to do with the fact that I have an early December birthday. So when I was growing up, you know, it was the month when I got all the gifts, all the attention. Uh, but, but over time, uh, I also developed a bunch of you know, personal traditions that, that kind of uh, animate this month for me. You know, whether that's listening nonstop to Christmas music or, or whether it's putting off shopping until the la- very last minute. You know, I, there's something about shopping on Christmas Eve that I just really get excited about. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, it has to do with my favorite movie being It's a Wonderful Life. That probably tells you more than you need to know about me. You know, and, and I would watch it multiple times each year. Uh, uh, my wife's happy that it's now down to just one time a year that we would watch it. But even, even now when I watch that movie, there's, uh, there's always a point sometime in the midst of that movie where something connects and it brings a tear to my eye. Uh, it, it had to do with, with, with faith traditions as well. Uh, I grew up in a church that, that had a Christmas Eve service, you know, and, and it was a candlelight service. And I still have a warm glow thinking about, you know, when the lights would go down and the candles would be lit from one to another. Uh, and and it, was, it was a beautiful thing to, to celebrate with family and with friends. But as my faith grew, I began to realize that 
you know, for all the joy that I would have in those, those Christmas traditions, um, they, they didn't always take me deeper with Jesus. You know, they were all good things, family and faith community. They were gifts from God. But I could, and sometimes still do, get sucked into a sentimentality that gets more focused on the gifts than on the giver. If we aren't careful, the good things can anesthetize our hearts in a way that we become focused on having good things here and now and lose track of the home that God wants us to be longing to, to, to reach, you know, to, to look beyond our here and now. We can, we can lose focus on that. That doesn't make the gifts bad, but it needs to alert us to the danger of having a sentimentality that focuses on having everything be just right. Now, if you are at all like me, then, uh, and you face that, that same kind of danger, then Isaiah 7 comes to us as an excellent antidote. Because while the promise of Emmanuel, God with us, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 1, can easily get swept up into that sentimentality of the season with the way that it can domesticate the Christmas story, the original context for that, that promise in Isaiah chapter 7 jarringly brings us back to reality. This morning, I want to let our exploration of Isaiah 7 reframe the Christmas story so that it reorients us to how God in Christ changed the world. What we will come to find is that the message of Emmanuel is that in Christ, God made himself vulnerable so that he meets us most transformationally in the midst of our vulnerability. This Emmanuel message works in three ways that I want to highlight this morning. First, uh, it confronts us. It confronts us by exposing what we are really trusting in. Second, it comforts us. It comforts us when we are honest about our vulnerability because we find that God meets us right there in the midst of that vulnerability. And third, it calls us. It calls us to be part of the Emmanuel reality that God is at work bringing about his kingdom and that we get to join him on that mission. So let's, uh, let's dig into the text and see what God has for us. We'll start with verses 10 and 11. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Now, it's gonna take a little bit of background to understand what's, what's going on here. And, and if you were to read the first nine verses of chapter seven, you would get a bit of that, that background. You know, God, the Lord has sent Isaiah uh, with his son to confront Ahaz. He tells him where to meet him, and he brings a message to him. Because the, the situation is that, that, that Ahaz is losing faith in, in, and, and is, is struggling to do what's right. But we can understand that when we, when we understand that, that Ahaz is the king of Judah, and Judah is under siege from two neighboring kingdoms. Uh, and, and things are not going well. If you wanted to, to read more about that, the Second Chronicles 28 kind of gives us a blow-by-blow blow on that. But, but, you know, for most of us, we'll never be in a situation as pressure-packed as what Ahaz is facing, where the lives of hundreds of thousands of people depend on decisions that we are making. But even so, all of us face tough situations where we have to make hard choices, situations that bring us face-to-face with our own vulnerability. 
And culturally, that's a challenge because in, in our culture, to, to be vulnerable is akin to, to sin. You know, that, that, that we're, we're not even you know, supposed to ever admit that we're, we're vulnerable. We have all kinds of systems set up to buffer ourselves so we don't ever experience vulnerability. But vulnerability is not the same thing as sin. Though sin can create it and often amplifies it, vulnerability is about what it means to live in a broken world where, the, where there are no guarantees that life will work out the way we want it to. The problem isn't that we want life to work out. That's to be expected. Uh, the problem is that we m try to make life work out without reference to God. So God wants us to be aware of our vulnerability so we can honestly and authentically choose to trust him in the midst of that uncertainty. That's, see, that's, that's what trust is. Trust is a willing vulnerability, believing that good will come from it. When we trust God, we're willing to admit that we're vulnerable and we need him to break in. But as Ahaz shows us, that kind of trust does not come easily. We can be tempted to think that it would be easy if God would just tell us exactly what we're supposed to do. But Ahaz's situation shows us that's not exactly the case because God is telling Ahaz what to do. But Ahaz has already made up his mind of what he wants to do. Ahaz has sent tribute to Assyria, who was the superpower of, of their day, and he's asking Assyria to, to come in and, and uh, to attack those two other kingdoms so that they will no longer trouble Judah. Uh, and, and he uh, is, is ready to pay tribute and, and to, to worship the Assyrian gods. God is, uh, God is wanting instead to, to meet Ahaz in the midst of this. God's presence has exposed Ahaz's lack of faith. He is trying to save Ahaz from a destructive path, but instead Ahaz uses religious language to try to dodge the implications of what God is saying to him. That's what we find in verses 12 and 13 where it says, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? So God with us confronts us. He exposes what we are ultimately trusting in and calls us to put our trust in him first and foremost. We all put our trust in things that are not good for us. And so it is, it is a mercy when, when God in, in his presence with us confronts us. Most of the time, it's not something as big and dramatic as it was for Ahaz. It can be the small or smaller destructive habits like bad online content or overindulging our appetites for food or drink. It can also be good but disordered things like the demands we make of family relationships or how we get too much of our identity from our work or a particular way of celebrating Christmas. God does not tend to resolve our vulnerability. That's what we want him to do. We want him to come in and, and take away our vulnerability. But instead, he meets us in the midst of it, confronting our idolatries and calling us to trust him. And so in order to be comforted by God's presence, we first have to allow him to confront the way we plan to resolve our vulnerability without him. Now, God's comfort comes 
when we recognize that vulnerability and acknowledge the ways we are buffering ourselves to avoid facing it. Comfort comes when we receive uh, how God meets us in the midst of our vulnerability. So, and we see this in, that, in this story, in, that into this crucible of, of Ahaz's situation, of Ahaz's vulnerability, God makes the Emmanuel proclamation. That's in, that's in verse 14, where it says, therefore the Lord will himself, will himself give you a sign. You might not ask for a sign, but I'm gonna give you one anyways. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. A child will be miraculously born as a sign of God's presence with and deep concern for his people. The sign had an immediate fulfillment uh, as within three years, those nations that were, that were threatening Judah were, were no more. Uh, they, they had been uh, 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 taken away. Uh, and so, but unfortunately, Ahaz didn't trust God. And so going forward, he went further and further into idolatry and ending up increasingly into, into dire straits for himself. Now, it, it would be his son, Hezekiah, who trusted God in, in the midst of his vulnerability and saw an incredible deliverance from Assyria. We don't have time for that story this morning, but if you wanted to read it, it's a great story. It's in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. But the Emmanuel promise that comes out in the midst of this story, that Emmanuel promise lives on beyond Ahaz's time. It would be more than 700 years before that promise broke into our reality in its ultimate fulfillment. You see, that's what Matthew is alerting us to when he picks up this promise and integrates it into the narrative of Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 1. We read in, in Matthew 1, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and, give, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So this is, this, the, here's where the Isaiah 7 reality can help us grasp the first Christmas beyond the sentimentality uh, that, that pictures of a calm and glowing baby in a neat, clean major gives us the impression of. You know, Hayden may be able to get the, the baby not to cry this morning, but they eventually cry, right? And, and that's not usually how we see Jesus portrayed. The Christmas story is filled with people who trust God in the midst of their vulnerability. It is a rough, earthy story. You know, it's, it's, uh, it features a pregnant teenager. You know, forced displacement and, and a refugee story of a flight to Egypt. An insecure, raging king who dispatches death squads to kill toddlers. When we remove these rough edges, uh, these rough and real edges from the story, we lose out on the witness of how real people trusted God in the midst of very challenging vulnerability. To experience the reality of Emmanuel, we have to recognize how the issues of these people faced connect to real issues that we face how God indwells the places where we experience vulnerability ourselves. The Emmanuel message with its proclamation that God is with us is a deep, awe-inspiring insight into who our God is. God's response to our vulnerability isn't to take it away, 
but rather to enter into it with us. So we can take comfort in the assurance that God not only understands, but is tangibly present in the midst of our vulnerability. You see that? And that reality gets, gets taken up in, and, and reflected on in a number of places in the New Testament. You know, one clear example of this is in Hebrews chapter 4, where, where it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, it is in Christ that we most fully meet God. Emmanuel exposes the lie that God is distant and uninvolved, that he doesn't care. We all are tempted to believe at points that God is not interested in what's happening in the midst of our lives. Emmanuel means we have to run every belief that we have about who God is through the grid of who Jesus is and who Jesus showed us God to be. So one clear way that this comes out is Matthew gives us a picture of the impact that this can have by how he relates the story of Joseph. In contrast to Ahaz, Joseph shows us what it looks like to trust God in the face of our vulnerability. Like Ahaz, Joseph also faces a deeply challenging problem. His fiancée is pregnant, and he knows the child is not his. Just like Ahaz, Joseph has come up with a plan for dealing with the situation. He's planning to, to send Mary away. He's not going to marry her, but he's not going to uh, expose her to public disgrace. And into this context, God makes an Emmanuel pronouncement. This time, rather than sending a prophet, he sends an angel in a powerful dream. Just like Ahaz, Joseph must decide how to respond. But unlike Ahaz, Joseph trusts God's word to him, and the comfort that brings empowers him to join God in his mission. And so we see how God made himself vulnerable so that he transformationally meets us in the midst of our vulnerability. The reality of God with us confronts us, and it comforts us, and it calls us to join him in his mission. You see, Joseph lives this out, and so do so many of the other characters in the Christmas story. You know, if you think about Zachariah and Elizabeth, or shepherds, or magi, Anna and Simeon in the temple, and of course Mary most of all. They, they trusted God in the midst of their vulnerability. And in the, in the process, they join God in his mission and become part of the Emmanuel message. And we as churches, both individually and collectively, have the opportunity to participate in God's Emmanuel reality now, just as they did then. When our vulnerability is exposed, the challenge is deciding whether to let that open us up to what God wants to do or whether we deny our vulnerability and shut it down. <clears throat> I think of situations like Philpott Memorial Church here uh, downtown and the vulnerability that they felt with so many street-involved people on their doorstep, literally sleeping on their front steps, through, uh, and, and even more so through the pandemic, and how God met them in the midst of that vulnerability by leading them to connect with those people and opening up an opportunity for them to minister to them and how a new congregation uh, has started that meets on Thursdays called Church at the Table. Or I think about Wentworth Baptist. 
you know, who found themselves with millions of dollars of, of renovations needed on a crumbling building, and in the midst of their vulnerability, uh, connected with Ingewell and how a new building uh, is being built there that will provide, not only provide them with a place to worship, but will provide housing for people in need. Or St. John United Church on the East, East Mountain, who um, <clears throat> in the midst of the pandemic were finding that they were, they were struggling as a congregation. And then one of their prayer groups said, I feel like we're called to, to care for a, a refugee sponsorship need. They decided uh, counterintuitively to raise $40,000 to, to uh, sponsor a refugee family. And, and that process, not, not only were they able to raise the money, but that process revitalized their congregation. It's, it's when, we step, when we recognize our vulnerability and step into it. And I think of you as a congregation, the way that you do the CAP program. You know, um, some of the stories I've heard of wrestling with indigenous justice or how you are courageously engaging a human sexuality dialogue. All of our churches face vulnerability. The question is whether we will open up to what God's presence within that vulnerability wants to do in our lives. And so as we approach Christmas this year, the challenge is for us to be, is to let that Emmanuel proclamation open us up to the way that God is present in the midst of our vulnerability. We have the opportunity to, to uh, open ourselves up in a way that, that allows God to confront us, you know, to, to comfort us, and to call us into the mission that he has for us. I look forward to seeing how that gets lived out uh, here for you and across the city. Let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for your presence with us, how you are God with us, for how... Uh, in Jesus, you have made that clear. Thank you for how you meet us in our vulnerability and how you transform that by being present in the midst of it. Just uh, commit ourselves to you and thank you for this opportunity to worship you this morning. In your name, amen.